Our study today is entitled Hannah. How many of you are familiar with this woman in the Bible named Hannah? Okay, a few of us, maybe 3% of us, which is, this is good. I love that we get to study these stories together. We've been studying through the book of Judges. We studied through uh, the book of Ruth. And here we are now, and we're entering into the book of 1 Samuel. If you want to know who Hannah is, we're going to introduce her to you today. This story is all just Hannah's story. It's written in two chapters. Okay, we're looking at the first two chapters of 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2, and we're looking at the first section called Provocation and Petition, okay? If you've noticed, I put some key words there for us to keep in mind as we go through this section. A few key words in this first section are grace, humility, pledge, and faith, okay? Sometimes I think when we study through the Bible, we're not sure how to go through it, I, th I feel that sometimes you open the Bible and we just start reading, hoping that something will make sense. Um, have you ever tried to do the Bible in a year? There's a reading plan, and they say, on this day, you need to read this many chapters. So, you know, you want to be intentional. You want to make through the Bible, see what it says in there. And what we end up doing, we just open the book, and we start to read through the assignment but nothing seems to stick. And we're like, I don't know, maybe it'll make sense tomorrow. So you keep reading, you know, and we're just getting a lot of information. It's just a lot of head knowledge. Well, I know it says this in the Bible, but I don't know what it means, okay? I think it's very important, as we go through this story today, when we study about Hannah, there are so many little details that we tend to overlook. But I believe it's the details in the story that bring so much depth and richness, and a lot more understanding and appreciation for why this story is in the Bible in the first place, okay? So if you're ready to dive in with me today, we have some blue Bibles right in front of you in the pew. You can open up to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We won't be reading through the whole thing because I hope most of you are able to read on your own, but we will do a, a little bit of a summary storytelling thing today, okay? I apologize for the typo in the very first line. It says here, there was a certain man, Elkanah, who had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Okay? So Elkanah has these two wives, Hannah and Penina. There, you know, I, I put those things in quotes, a certain man. Because remember when we were studying about Samson, the way they introduced Samson's story was very similar to the way that they're introducing Samuel's story, okay? And they use the same sort of language, a certain man. So it points our attention to, we just studied about Samson a couple weeks ago, right? And at that point, we understood that God was raising up a judge, and Samson was going to be born a Nazarite from birth, so he would be in service to the Lord his whole life a vow that his mother took. So that gives us a little hint as to where this story is going. So we got this certain man, Elkanah, okay? He's got two wives. What are their names? Hannah and Penina. Now, Penina, she had 
Lots of children. It doesn't tell us exactly how many, but when the Bible talks about it, it says all her sons and all her daughters. So we understand they probably had a lot of kids. Now, Hannah, unfortunately, she had none. Okay? And these two women, they didn't get along very well because Penina would rub it in Hannah's face and say, ha ha, you are worthless because you couldn't provide a child for your husband. Now, this is pretty bad, eh? We stop and think about it. Elkanah was married to Hannah first. And because she was unable to bear a child, we can assume that's why he had to take on Penina, somebody that would carry on his, his line, okay? And then Penina's here, she's got all these babies, and it says that Penina would thunder against Hannah because she had no children. Thundering against, it, it means she would provoke her and try to irritate her. She wanted to really get under her skin and make her feel that pain, okay? Make her feel like she was worthless because she couldn't do the one thing a woman is supposed to do at this time. Could you think of other women in the Bible? We, we've studied about a few of them already, but there were at least three or four barren women. Barren meaning that they were unable to have child. And we read about this in before Hannah's story. Could you think of any other names? Sarai, right? Sarah and Abraham. Anybody before Hannah? Rachel and Rebecca. No, it's funny because these three women were the wives of guess who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, when we refer to the God of the Bible, the God of the Israelites, and, you know, the almighty God, he was a God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. However, all of their wives that bore the son, they were barren at one point. There was some shame that was there. And there was some disbelief on the part of Sarai. Do you remember? When they told her, oh, you will have a child, she laughed. She didn't believe the word that was coming from God's messenger, okay? Rachel and Rebecca, they, they prayed for the children to come, right? We could read more about their stories another time. Um, we look at Sarah. She was 90 years old, in her 90s, when she had her son, her promised son. Rebecca was 20 years in her marriage before she gave birth to twins, Jacob and Esau. And Rachel, right, had Joseph and died after giving birth to, while giving birth to Benjamin, okay? And then there's also Manoah's wife. Do you remember her? Manoah's wife bore the Nazarite judge, Samson, okay? And all these people, very important characters in the Bible, and all these characters are pointing to something very important. We'll, we'll get to that as we get through our story. So we see, how did Hannah respond to Penina's taunting and getting under her skin? Let's look at this. She would weep bitterly. It saddened her. She would not eat at the feast. And Hannah was downhearted. 
Now it says that Elkanah would have to take his wives and his children. They would have to leave their hometown, okay? They'd leave their hometown of Ramah, and they would travel to the tabernacle at Shiloh. This was only about 14 miles. And you think, 14 miles, not that bad, you know? But it's not so much the distance that was a problem for this journey. The neighboring cities around, that, around Shiloh, foreigners are not welcome, people that aren't part of their crew, you could get robbed along the way. It was a dangerous journey. But here Elkanah was, he knew Israelite men had to go to the tabernacle for at least three feasts throughout the year. And one of those, one of those times where they would give the offering would be the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? They would bring their entire family there and offer a sacrifice to living God at the holy tent. And a portion of that would be divvied up. The peace offering that's given, they would take a portion and everybody would eat it. So there's peace with God and peace with us. So what Elkanah did, he would divvy up a portion for Penina and all her sons and all her daughters. But he would give a double portion to Hannah because he loved her and God had closed her womb. That's what it says in the Bible. So we see how Elkanah loves Hannah. We see his affection toward her. That's the first wife. You know, and although she couldn't bear the child, she really wanted to do this, not just for herself, to give Elkanah his line to continue on. This was her purpose. For a woman that wasn't able to carry this through, and you get older and older, there is that shame. People look at you weird. You're counted as like a worthless person. Who's going to take care of you when you get older if you have no children? You know, like these were the thoughts that went through their, their mind, right? So greatly distressed, we see that she goes to the temple of the Lord. She prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction. Could we go to the next slide? She prays, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall never come upon his head. Sounds a little bit weird. Why would she say, and a razor will never come upon his head? It's like a mother that doesn't cut her child's hair. Is she a good mother? <laughs> no. Remember, this points back to, it alludes to the Nazarite vow that we studied about with Samson, that a razor would never touch the head of a Nazarite, a person that takes a vow for a, t a period of time, and while they're in service for the Lord, they will not cut their hair, okay? And we, we talked about how there were only three people in the Bible that were Nazarites from birth. Samson, here we have Samuel, and later on we have John the Baptist, okay? A Nazarite from birth. We see that Hannah makes her vow here. And she pledges that if God grant her a son, then she will devote him to God. Okay? So this is her petition. She's feeling downhearted. She can't take the, the taunting and the abuse from Penina anymore. But notice, Hannah didn't retaliate. She held her tongue. 
She was very gracious. She offered grace in the moments. Somebody's provoking you, you don't attack them back. It doesn't do any good, okay? But instead, she kept her concerns to herself, and she went straight to God. She wouldn't eat during the Feast of Tabernacles. This is what's supposed to happen. In a way, it's as though she was fasting. She, she didn't want to eat because she was so empty already. She didn't want to fill up on the food. She needed to come before God empty of herself as she is. Do you remember we studied last week about Ruth and Naomi? And there was the same theme happening there. Naomi left Bethlehem empty. Well, she left, oh, sorry, where was she? She left the other place empty, Moab. She left Moab empty-handed, and then God fills her later, right? In the same way, Hannah is left empty. She's barren. There's nothing there. She doesn't want to eat to fill up on anything, to fill that void. I think as Christians today, we could totally identify with Hannah on this issue. Sometimes we could feel so broken, we could feel so empty, we could feel like God isn't satisfying us yet. But what happens in our waiting? Maybe we fill up on other things to fulfill our desires. We fill up on other things that would satisfy this hunger we have. We don't realize that we're hungering for God, but we fill up on junk food of the world, right? Now, Hannah didn't do this. She wanted to remain empty before she made her plea to God. Can we wait like Hannah? Can we put aside our own appetite, our need to fill ourselves, a need to save ourselves? Can we do what Hannah did? Instead of fighting back with people, we take our concerns directly to the Lord. Well, it says that once the feast was over, Hannah got up from the table, and right away she went to the temple. She went to the, the holy tent. And it said that Eli, the priest, was sitting there at the doorway. And he noticed that Hannah was there, and she's, she's like talking, but there were no words coming out of her mouth. And she's like pouring her heart out to God, and she's praying from her, from her heart, from her spirit, but no words were coming out of her mouth. So Eli's looking at this woman like, whoa, this woman must have had too much to drink. Look at this drunken woman. And he approaches her. You, you see, the reason he thought she was drunk was because um, these public prayers are usual, they're, they're audible, okay? You should be able to hear the words coming off the lips. This was a common practice in ancient, ancient Israel. And Eli comes up to her and says, you there, get rid of that wine, get rid of that beer. You know, you don't need to be filling up on that. Take it and leave. And Hannah says to Eli, no, no, I, I am simply a woman that is pouring my heart out to God. She doesn't fight him. She doesn't say, you don't know what you're talking about, you know. She was very humble, and she, she calls herself a servant, a maidservant. She honors Eli where he is, recognizing his position as a priest, and she's still this woman that's just coming before God with this desire that's on her heart. 
Hannah respectfully and humbly replies to Eli's accusation. And then he speaks a blessing over her. And she went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer sad. So once Eli said to her, go in peace, may the Lord grant you what you had asked of him. All she needed was a priest to say that. And she left that place and her heart was lifted and she ate food. She was satisfied with knowing that the Lord would grant her what she had asked of the Lord. Now, some of us might pray to God, and we wonder, is God going to answer my prayer? And we, we won't believe it until we see things starting to work out for us, you know? We don't believe sometimes that, that God is faithful to provide for us. We don't believe that God actually heard our prayer, you know? But what made Hannah so certain when she poured her heart out before the Lord? What made her so certain? Why did she have that faith, believing? It's hard to believe, isn't it? Like when I look at Hannah's story, it puts me to shame. Because I know there are times where I pray to God and I'm still asking and wondering and unsure of what the future might bring. But here she is, completely satisfied knowing that God has heard her. She didn't get pregnant yet. Nothing's changed. But she believes that God heard her prayer. I don't know about you, but for me, it is so comforting. If you've ever gone through a hard trial or a rough spot in your life, just knowing that somebody hears you just knowing that somebody sees you, that they understand what you're going through, that could do so much to help you in that time of need. Her face was no longer sad. The story continues on. Promises and praise. Promises and praise. So the next day, Okay, at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. It says that they rose up in the, early, in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. I see a lot of underlined words here. I'm going to be looking at this a little closely. They rose up in the morning early. Now, if you're going to be making a journey back home through the treacherous lands where you could get mugged, right, and you got your whole family with you, you know, like, you'd probably just want to pack up your stuff and get on the road as soon as you could. You just want to get to your destination. But here, what it says, they rose up in the morning early. It wasn't to beat the crowds. What did they do? They worshipped before the Lord, okay? So this shows us the pious customs of Elkanah and his household. It shows that Elkanah was a man that was leading his household in the way of the Lord. Okay, He wanted to uphold everything that God had instructed the Israelites to be doing. So he worships the Lord. 
Okay? They had a journey ahead of them to return home, but they would not move until they had worshipped God first. They, they wanted his presence. They wanted his blessing. Now, when you get up in the morning, when that alarm clock goes off, you know, it might just be a short journey to your day job, you know. I love this practice. The first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, you worship the Lord. You do not go on with your day without worshiping the Lord first. And you might feel, I don't have enough time to worship the Lord. You know what? It doesn't mean that you have to sit down for half an hour reading your Bible. It doesn't mean you have to spend however many minutes praying. It's not a matter of time, okay? But it's a matter of acknowledging God Acknowledging the Lord in your life and worshiping him with thanksgiving and praise. Do we need things to happen before we could be thankful? Guess what? Every morning when you wake up, a miracle just happened. You woke up. So you could be thankful for that. The source of what, what's giving you life is the creator himself. We could praise him because he is our creator. Okay, And we could go through our whole day knowing that our creator God has his eye on me. And that my, my eyes and my heart, they're set on God. So whatever way my journey turns out today, I know that the Lord goes with me. I mean, this is a very simple practice. But I don't know any better way to honor God than putting him first. Because if God is not first, guess what? We're not honoring him. Now, I'm not just saying first, thi first thing in the morning. I'm saying first priority all the time. Okay? So we live our lives not for ourselves, but we live our lives in service to our creator God, the source of our life, the giver of life, the healer of life. Okay? You get me? You with me so far? Cool. Well, it says that they went home. Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. Well, I hope so. You know. <laughs> that word knew, right? Elkanah knew Hannah. It means that they were intimate, that they had that sexual relation that belongs between a husband and a wife with that deeper intimacy, not just the physical act itself, but it's where, where there is that bond and they are doing this in obedience to the design of God where a man and woman would lie together. And in that act, remember, they can procreate, right? And it says that as this happened, well, Elkanah knew Hannah, the Lord remembered her and she became pregnant now what does this mean the lord remembered her do you think that god would forget you no why what does it say remember i think sometimes we say things in the christian church and it just sounds like well that sounds spiritual that sounds christian god doesn't forget he knows everything he knows all things but specifically this remembering, how it's mirrored together with Elkanah knowing Hannah in that intimate physical way, 
When God remembers us, there's an intimacy and a closeness of relationship there as well. It means that God turns his attention toward, that there's a little bit, he sees Hannah. He hears Hannah's plea. He remembers what Hannah asked for. And then God enabled her to conceive. Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. She named him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him, and the Lord heard her. His name is Shemuel. And it sounds kind of like God hears. Do you remember Shema? So Shema is to hear. Okay, so the Shema Elohim, God had heard me. He remembered me. He heard my petition, and he had been faithful. So she names him Shemuel, because it sounds like God has heard. Now, you would think you've been longing for something for such a long time. You had been taunted and teased because you couldn't have this thing. And all of a sudden, God blesses you and grants your request, and you finally have this son. If you were Hannah, what would you be doing? Rejoicing, jumping for joy. But I think sometimes we forget what we had asked God for as soon as we get it. Or we might say, thanks, God, real quick. But then we start showing everybody, look at what I have. Like she could have gone over to her sister wife, Penina, and be like, Penina, look, can't say anything anymore, you know, and she's rubbing her big belly. No, she, she didn't do that. She was a gracious woman, okay? Hannah's name actually means grace. Penina means ruby or precious stone. So although what Penina had, it, she cherished that, it looked beautiful on the outside, but what Hannah had was grace. It looks like Penina had everything that she could offer her husband, and as though she was a prized wife, but we know Elkanah loved Hannah, right? And their love together, God allowed them to bear this child son, Shemuel, Okay? And Hannah, she would make good on her promise. The Lord was faithful to, to her promise, um, and, and she made a promise to God. She made a pledge to God. That if, she would, if he would just grant her a son, then she would give her son back to the Lord for his service, and a razor would never touch his head. Yes. Why does the Lord reveal himself to someone? For his own kingdom purposes. That's later on. We're still talking about Hannah. He hasn't even been born yet. So <laughs> no, no, that's, that's good. I, I'm glad to see that you're excited to see what happens next. I am too. You know? <laughs> Tune in in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be back here, Samuel. <laughs> And if you missed any of our studies, please check out our podcast. Okay. Now, as much as Hannah felt a warm regard for being in the courts of God's house, okay, she loved being there. She loved being near the presence of God. Remember where she was pouring out her heart and praying. 
it came that time of year where Elkanah would have to make that journey back to Shiloh to make his sacrifices, okay? He needed to bring his family with him and, and go and make the sacrifices. But we see here that Hannah, she's begging Elkanah for her to stay behind, okay? This is what he, she says. She says, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Okay, so she didn't want to go back to Shiloh until she was prepared to give Samuel back to the Lord for, for his service. Until the child is weaned. How long does it take to wean a child? And what are we talking about here, really? A couple years? Yeah? Some moms, it's like three months. That's okay. You know, I get it. You know, three months, six, some till six years old, right? Now, now, I don't think that they're just talking about, you know, breastfeeding, nursing. I don't think they're just talking about that nursing. So there's that physical weaning that happens because physically, a child needs to rely on their mother for all that nutrient to feed them until they're physically stronger to move on and develop as their own person. But in these Israelite homes, okay, it was a mother's responsibility as well to teach their child the ways of the Lord in the home at that young age, okay? And this would normally typically happen between the ages of four to six years old for the child to be weaned and start walking that path, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're older, they won't turn from it, right? This is a teaching from, for the Israelites. Teach your child the way of the Lord. Set them on that right path. And when they get older, they won't turn from it. So this is what was happening. There's a, the spiritual nourishing that the child had in the way of the Lord. So the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how old Samuel was when he was brought back to the temple. Okay, but we could assume he was about five or six years old. Okay. Could you imagine... Raising up the child, it's your child. You know that it's your child. You have those years to bond, to get to know each other. That child only knows you as his mother, and then you would have to hand him over and not see him anymore. Hannah prayed and longed for how many years before she was granted this son? But she made a vow. She made a pledge to the Lord. How could you not keep your promises to God? God grants you something, and then you say, thanks for this, God, but you're not getting your end of the deal. And we cheat God. You know, we want God to honor us, but we don't honor him back. Now, thank God that Hannah was not that sort of person. She kept her end of her, her vow, her promise. Elkanah said to Hannah, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. I stop and, at this point in the story, and I'm wondering, did Hannah tell Elkanah about the pledge she made to the Lord before this point? I don't know. If I was Elkanah, oh, <laughs> I'm supposed to go give my offering to the Lord. 
And then my wife is like, nope, I'm not going with you. I'm not giving this son back to God yet. I made a pledge with God. And until I'm ready to give him up, I'm not giving him to the Lord. Elkanah could have said, your vow doesn't stand. Or he could accept the vow. That's how it was in that time. It's not that the women didn't have a say, okay? Very clearly, women could offer and fulfill vows in ancient Israel if their husband or father approves. So they had a say. They make their plans. But there's still this area of submission. There's still this area of, well, it's up to the father or the husband whether or not this vow would be allowed, okay? Elkanan realized that Hannah made this pledge with the Lord. Who was he to come in the way of a vow made with God? It's only for God to say what the final thing is. So Elkanah, in his loving obedience to the Lord as well, and the ways of the Lord, he honored his wife's pledge. Remember, he loved her very much. Finally, Samuel grows. Samuel is weaned from his mom. And they bring Samuel up to the temple. And there, um, Hannah goes to Eli and says, Eli, do you remember your maidservant? Do you remember me? I was a woman who prayed here many years ago. You thought I was drunk, and I poured my heart out to God, and you spoke a blessing over me, and the Lord was faithful to me, and I want to remain faithful to God, and I'm going to make good on my pledge, and I am giving my son back to the Lord, in service to the Lord. Take my child. Would you be heartbroken? saying goodbye to your child, leaving him in the temple. <laughs> I mean, that is hard. I have a hard time leaving my kids with my parents or my in-laws sometime because I'm like, I need to go run an errand. And I'm just giving my child to my parents and my child starts to cry as they see me leaving and it breaks my heart. I don't want to leave. I can't imagine knowing I'm leaving my child there for all of his days to serve the Lord. My child is there in the Lord's house. He's not coming back home. But Hannah, because of her faith, instead of being sad, we see her rejoicing. We see her praising God. In chapter 2, 1 Samuel chapter 2, we have here Hannah's thanksgiving. You guys want to read it? <laughs> it's long. From here? <laughs> then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. Uh, in the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. 
Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She was barren. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has many sons pines away. Let's stop right there. How many children did Hannah have at this point? One. What was his name? Samuel. Samuel, Shemuel, right? What is she saying here? She who was barren has borne seven children. Did it mean that, did somebody tell her that she'll have seven? Was it just a magic number she's hoping for, that family planning? You know, what was that? The number seven is a number of completion. There's this wholeness, it's a perfection number of God. And what she's saying here is she, she who was barren is now filled with God's grace, is now filled with this joy, and is now filled with the perfection of God's plan, okay? Has born seven children, but she who has many sons pines away. You know, I, I studied a little bit more, and there's something that's taught in the Jewish school around this passage, and it was taught and understood that for every son that Hannah had, two of Penina's sons died. Interesting. But she who has many sons pines away. The mockers, people could mock you for your faith. And I'm not saying we're going to rejoice in their downfall. But the pride and arrogance of people, that would be shut down. Anybody that's taunting you for in your faithfulness and obedience to the Lord, the Lord is just. The Lord does what he sees fit. Okay? And there's nothing that Hannah had to do to Penina. But in a way, the Lord lifts you up before your enemies. Okay? Let's continue reading. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will, ex he will give strength to the king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went, to ho went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. So here we have Hannah's thanksgiving, not only by the spirit of prayer, but by the spirit of prophecy. From the abundance of her heart, her mouth spoke. She was a recipient of God's mercy, and she felt obliged to return praise to God. Her prayer is centered around God for who he is and for what he does. It wasn't centered around how she profited. It wasn't centered around her son. Samuel's not even barely mentioned here, right? It's just centered around how good God is, that God hears our prayers. God does as he sees fit. Her focus is not on the gift 
but on the giver. Sometimes I think when we, when we spend time in prayer with God, we are so focused on ourself that the prayer is centered around us, that we expect God to make things all kind of work out for me. Why else would you go to God? I think we treat God like a, a Santa Claus or a genie, right? We, we sit at his lap and we say, this is what I want, God. I've been a good boy this year. Won't you grant me my wish? As though our behavior could gain, you know, his favor. Or we, we treat him like a genie. God, give me these three wishes, and then, you know, if you're good, I'll let you out. You know? When we pray to God, friends, the prayer, it needs to be centered around God. It needs to be centered around God's heart, God's will, God's purposes. We need to have that centered on him so that we could be aligned with his will and his heart and his purposes. So prayer doesn't change God and what he does towards us, but it should change us and shed away any desires that are not of God. So we say, Lord, help me love what you love. Help me hate what you hate. Change me to be the person that you want me to be. Use me, Lord, for your kingdom purposes. Not my will, but yours be done. That's prayer. Is it wrong to ask God for things? No. Make all your petitions known to God, you know? Because when you come to God, you're acknowledging him as the provider, as the giver. You're acknowledging him as the one who is still in control and working all things together for the good of those who love him. When you pray, ask God to help you love him more to love him better, right? So we mentioned that Hannah's Thanksgiving was also done with the spirit of prophecy. At that very last verse here, it says, he will give strength to the king and exalt the horn of his anointed. When we learn more about Samuel's story, we learn that he becomes this prophet. And through Samuel, he starts to anoint the kings, okay? And um, a lot of scholars believe that this was just pointing to King David, right? But as we studied through the story of Ruth last week, we remember who rises up from the house of David? Jesus Christ himself. Who is the king of kings? Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so who is this king that would be anointed? Jesus Christ. And Samuel was used in this big story, this big picture. All of the Bible points to Jesus, and every character had a role to play. Nobody is here by accident. Some are minor players, so it seems, but without them, the story wouldn't be the same. All right? Hannah was a very important character. Had she not been so faithful to the Lord and believe that he would fulfill his promises, believe that the Lord is hearing her, what great faith. Do you trust God, friends? 
Yeah, you trust him? Do you trust that he will always do what is good for you? Yes? It doesn't always feel good, but you know it's good for you. I know it, it didn't feel good to get spanked, but it was good for me because, you know, it sets me on the right path, right? And the Lord disciplines those he loves. So when you know that the Lord loves you and you wonder, God, why is this happening to me? Hold your tongue, okay? Don't complain against God, right? But ask him, Lord, what lesson are you trying to teach me here? Teach me your ways. I live to know you. Position in providence. So at this place, we, we learn that Elkanah and Hannah and their family, they continue to make the trips back to Shiloh each year. Okay? And there at the tent, Eli was the priest, and he had two sons. His sons' names were Hophni and Phineas. Okay, They were not only careless and irreligious, but they were men loose in their actions and vicious and scandalous in their habits. It's said that these two sons of Eli would have sexual relations with the women working in the outer courts, right? With the women that came to serve as well, you know, like they would do that. They would cheat the sacrifices that were supposed to be burned, where the fat's supposed to be burned off before you take the choice meat. They said, what meat are you going to sacrifice? Give me the best cuts. And they filled themselves on the sacrifice that's supposed to be meant a sacrifice to the Lord. So what they were doing was a complete disregard of the order of things that God had laid out. It was a smack in the face to God saying, I deserve all these things. Why should we give these things to God? It's one thing when you sin against a brother or a sister. And it's another thing when you sin against God. Things could be made right with a brother or a sister. You learn, you grow, you forgive. That's what, you know, that's what we do. In the church, we might offend each other, but we pray for each other. We confess our sins. We pray for each other. We encourage each other. We grow together. And that's, that was God's purpose for us growing together as a church family. Okay? But when you sin against God with complete disregard for him as the authority, Hannah had so much respect for the priest Eli. She had so much respect when she came before the Lord, your maidservant, remember me. You know, and she's talking to the Lord God Almighty, recognizing her position. Not entitled, okay? She wasn't demanding anything of God. But these guys, they were so like proud and arrogant. And it says in the Bible in verse 12, they did not know the Lord. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Verse 17. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing an, a linen ephod. What's a linen ephod? So the priests had these priestly garments that were worn as they served in the tent, in the temple. It was very specific. And all the other priests that were working there would have these linen garments. Eli had these two sons 
that we're not following in the way of the Lord. And immediately after it says, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Tells us that Hannah made a little robe for Samuel from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. She had turned Samuel over to the Lord, but she was still his mom. She still had hopes and desires for what Samuel would become in service to God. This is beautiful. She raises him. She gets to see him once a year. And every time she comes to see him, she makes for him a little robe. Still his mom. It was because of her, it was because of her vow to the Lord that God used her. God heard her petition and used that opportunity for his kingdom purposes to be fulfilled. When we ask things of God, are we asking merely for our own selfish purposes? Or when we ask things of God, is it so that we can be encouraged, equipped, elevated to the place that we could say, Lord, I'm going to turn this back and use it for your honor and your glory. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In everything that you do and say, do it all for his honor and glory. Whatever you do, live your life a living sacrifice to honor and glorify God. It might be easier for you to say, I will give my life as a living sacrifice to God. It's easy for a person to make that choice. But Hannah prayed for a son, a son whom she loved, who she raised, who she nursed, she had that bond with. And she gave up her own son for the Lord's purposes to be fulfilled. Does this sound familiar to you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. All these stories in the Bible, they're pointing us back to Jesus. All these stories in the Bible, they, you know, I think this is beautiful because they use the mother's love, right? And the mother's faithfulness and obedience There's more to this story in chapter 2. You could read it on your own. Where Eli's sons, God is just displeased with Eli's house. And he tells Eli, there will be no old man in your house. And your two sons, they will die on the same day. And with their death, there's no more future for your line. But I have provided Samuel. I have placed Samuel in this house, and it will be Samuel that carries out the work. Is this not beautiful? This is providence, you see. This is God's providence. He hears Hannah's petition and uses that opportunity for his kingdom purposes. When God works all things together for good, it's for the good of his kingdom. You might say, well, how does that benefit me? How does that benefit me? Are you kidding me? We're looking for instant gratification. We want God to benefit us now, 
And we can't hold on a little bit with faith in silence, trusting that God makes good on his promises. That's what this story taught me again. God is faithful to his promises. Will you be faithful to God? It says, remember when Hannah was praying, she said, remember me. Look to me in my bad situation. Just look here, Lord. When God sees you, when he sees to a situation, God doesn't see you without acting. Why would God give his attention to something and just sit and just watch you? When we call God's attention to something, it's not, look at me, God, look at what I'm doing for you. We're not there to entertain God. When we call on God and we call him to look at us, believe God is going to act. He always does. When he sees to a situation, he doesn't just look. He looks and he does something about it. So I don't know what your situation is today. I don't know if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling defeated. I don't know, maybe you're feeling just, you're not sure what the future has in store for you. Ask God to look to your situation and trust that when he looks at you, he's going to do something. He might not change the situation around you. When you ask God to look to your situation, guess what? He starts on the inside of you. But like Hannah, we come before God empty-handed no other agenda. We come before God just like Hannah did. She didn't feast on anything else. She just wanted to come plainly before God as she was, trusting that God would fill her. When you accepted Jesus Christ, when you accepted Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, were you aware that there's a promise that God had for you when you choose to believe in Jesus? Are you aware that the Spirit of Christ would come and dwell in your life? That he would make his home in your heart? That he would lead you and guide you, that you were never alone? So when you pray and ask God, look to me, guess what? He's looking to the inside of you. And he starts to change things from the inside of you. What other lessons can we learn from the life of Hannah? I shared with you a few of the lessons that I learned. But I pray that you would go home, you would read through the story for yourself, and you would spend time with God and allow him to reveal to you the very message that he has for you. Because all these stories are here for a reason. He wants to make himself known to us. And if we seek him with all our heart, and we welcome his spirit, to lead us and guide us through his word. Oh, my friends, I am looking forward to the, the songs of thanksgiving and praise that you will be singing, just like Hannah.